Good morning. In case you don't know me, I'm the new guy here. I'm Brad, and what a, what a morning it's been already. Um, I got up this morning and put on a shirt that's new for me and found out after the fact that it doesn't stay not wrinkled. So I don't know if that bothers you, but I wanted to look nice for you guys this morning for my new family, and it's a little wrinkly. And then I was using the washroom this morning, and the same washroom that I've used for the last month and a half, almost two months, same soap dispenser I've used, I hit the soap dispenser and it goes all over me. So and we still live 35 minutes away, so you know, running home and changing. So it's just not been quite the morning, I hope, that way, but I am so glad to be with you, and I pray that Jesus is the one that we focus on this morning and that we uh, are refreshed and renewed in him today. So I've chosen the parable of the unforgiving servant today as we continue the parable series, uh, Unmerciful Servant, my lovely bride, Brenda, said, you know, Brad, I hope you're not going to be like too hard on our new church family. You know, this is the first time you're preaching with them, so you need to not be too hard on them. But, but this is honestly, it's one of my favorite parables. I really love it. Um, at our house, we enjoy movies. Our household enjoys movies. But I have four daughters and a wife, and our dog is even a girl dog. So a lot of the movies that we watch are comedies and romances and musicals. Now, now I'll admit, I own that. I, I like musicals, too. I, I do. I have an appreciation for them. Uh, if you've seen my newsletter article this month, you will understand. I do appreciate musicals. But I also like a good action flick. I, I really do. I really do. Um, in this parable... It feels more like an action flick to me. There's an enormous pile of money at stake. An enormous pile of money at stake. There are innocent people who are suffering. There are injustices to be made right. And there's a good plot twist at the end as well. And, and then there's this sobering, thought-provoking ending. I, I like movies that have that ending where... Whereas the, the heroes walk out of the smoke together, you know, the explosion's still happening behind them, but they're walking out, there's, there's some sort of moral to it, there's some sort of lesson. So we have that today. Um, oh, another thing that, I, this is a different clicker for me than what I've ever used before, so if the slides advance a little wonky, just let me know and I'll try to fix it, but uh, we'll have fun this morning. All right, I want you to see today. As we progress through this, I want you to see, I want you to feel the weight of the prison of unforgiveness. And I want you to feel the freedom that forgiveness brings. The reality is forgiven people forgive. Okay, there we go. Forgiven people forgive. So if you haven't already, turn your, with me in your Bibles to Matthew 18, get out your notes, and we'll read through the passage together. Now this opens with Peter asking a question. It says, then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? So first, what is forgiveness? We, we've got to lay this out. What is forgiveness first? It's crucial. Forgiveness literally is sending something away. So releasing it. So if you think of it in terms of finances, and actually 
the Bible uses the term often in finances, and this is the story we have before us today. Uh, if, if a credit card company releases my debt, if they forgive me my debt, then that means I don't have to pay it anymore. They are giving up their right to claim payment from me if they forgive that debt. Uh, we know it as the removal of sin as well. Forgiveness is the removal of sin, the pardon of punishment. So God forgives me and he says, I won't hold your sin against you anymore, Brad. If I forgive you, that's me saying, I, I won't hold that against you anymore. I release my right to demand exact payment back for that sin. I release that. That's what forgiveness does. Now, Peter's question might seem odd, but Jesus had just, just taught through some forgiveness things and some things about how to deal with sin in the community. And the rabbinic teaching of the day was that if somebody offends you, if somebody sins against you, you forgive them up to three times. So, so for Peter to say, should I, we'll do it up to seven times, Lord, that's, that's like taking the lid off. I mean, that's just, you know, that's going over the top with forgiveness, over the top from what's expected. But Jesus says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Can, can you just see the blank stares from the disciples? Can you just see them being like, wait a minute. I mean, just paradigm blown. This is, this is not what they expected. Once again, Jesus does that to them. And then Jesus uses this question to launch into this parable. Scene one, he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Now, he uses imagery that would have been familiar to them. The idea of a king and his servants or a master and his servants was a very common imagery for God and his people. Verse 24, when he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. Now, this amount of money, if you were one of the disciples hearing that, you would have gasped. You would have shuddered. 10,000 talents. A talent was a measure of money that was the equivalent of about 20 years worth of wages. So, so imagine I work for half of my lifetime, half of my working career, that's one talent. This guy's debt was 10,000 talents. 10,000, that's, that's the equivalent of 5,000 lifetimes 5,000 careers. That's an enormous debt. And it, it really is not just the numbers used. I mean, just the numbers is enormous. But both numbers that are used, the word for 10,000 is myriad, and the word that's used for talent, both of those words are the biggest words that the Greek language had at the time to express those kinds of things. So he's really saying this, this is an infinite, unpayable debt. This is a debt that simply cannot be paid back. Verse 25, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant hears this debt that he has and he says, nope, I can't pay you. Thumbs down, I can't do it. Thumbs down, I can't pay you back. Don't have the money to do it. And the king responds with swift justice. Now again, to us, us it sounds really harsh, but it's, it was well within the king's rights to do that. It was well within his rights. It's something he could do to sell him back and get whatever money he could out of that debt. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you back everything. 
Now, really? Really? Have patience with me? How much patience is the king supposed to have? It's really an absurd request. How, is the king expected to give him 5,000 lifetimes to pay this back? It's a silly request. And yet we see the king's response. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. The king reverses his decision, and instead of sending the servant and his family off to prison, instead of selling them away, he releases them. He forgives the debt. He gives up his right to demand that payment anymore. The king's decision is from his heart going out. He is moved in his gut. It's compassion. It's pity. He, he is moved to respond in this way. And he didn't give him what he deserved. Now the scene changes. And it says, when that servant went out from the presence of the king, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Now this same servant, this forgiven servant, goes out. He's just been given new life, literally been given new life. And he goes out and he finds a servant who owes him 100 denarii. A denarii was equal to one day's wage. One day's wage. So 100 denarii, I mean, that's, that's like our income from three or four months of work. So it's not a nothing amount. It is something. It is, it is a, a weighty matter. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I don't think I would want to owe somebody three or four months wages. I, that would be a hard payment to make. But comparatively, though, this 100 denarii debt that he had was 600,000 times smaller than the debt he had just been forgiven. 600,000 times smaller. He continues, and it says, seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Now remember, Jesus uses parables to get a visceral response from his hearers, to get something. So, so imagine Going for the throat, when you go for the jugular with somebody, that's intense. I am face-to-face -face with this person, and I am squeezing the life out of them. Hear, hear the choking sounds with me. Hear those <clears throat> from this person who cannot breathe. It's brutal. Jesus wanted his listeners, his hearers, to feel the injustice of what is happening. So his fellow servant falls down and pleads with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Almost word for word, the same plea. The only thing he leaves out is give me more time and I'll pay back everything, the everything part. He just says, I'll pay you. Verse 30, he refused. The first servant refuses. And he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. This guy, who has just been treated with such overwhelming mercy, overwhelming forgiveness, now responds to another human being with an overwhelming lack of forgiveness, with an overwhelming lack of mercy. You feel it with me? I mean, this is a big deal. This is harsh. Well, the fellow servants feel it too. 
They see what's taken place, and they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Killer question, Jesus. And everybody who hears the story knows the answer. We know the answer. And in his anger, his master delivered him over to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. He's given over literally to be tortured, to be tormented. This is not today's jail picture. This unmerciful, unforgiving servant is given over to the jailers to pay all of his debt. And remember, to pay all of his debt, that means lifetime. He's done. He's done. His life is essentially over. He's going to prison for the rest of his existence. This is an eternal thing. Okay, so the movie's over. Roll the credits. Justice has been served. We can relax now, right? (laughs) Not when you're around Jesus. Jesus takes it back to Peter's question, and he says, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Just went from hearing a good story to, oh my word, what do I have to do with this now? Peter, like we often are, was worried about calculating, about counting. And God's concern is comparison. Comparison of the great mercy, the great forgiveness that God extends so freely to our own. God wants us to compare that. Often I talk about how God doesn't want us to compare ourselves to each other, but he does want us to compare his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness to what we extend. And we come back to the main point, forgiven people forgive. If we're here this morning and we're still counting the sins of other people, no matter how generously you might be counting, if you're still counting them. I mean, Peter was saying, I'll I'll be generous. I'll, I'll do way more than what's required. Jesus says, no, that's not even close. If you're still keeping track, you're not forgiving. And the sobering thing is, you are risking the removal of yourself from God's mercy and God's forgiveness. You are running that risk. Now we have to be careful with parables. We have to be careful to not read too much detail into them, but I don't think it's an accidental part of the story when this man who was unmerciful gets thrown in prison. Because when we don't forgive other people, we end up getting bitter And we end up living in a prison of our own making, a self-imposed prison that is graceless and merciless. Traps us beneath the weight of the hurt and the pain and the anger of offenses received. There are some of you here right now, today, where this goes deep. 
Some of you have been in this kind of a self-imposed prison for decades. Relationship problems, family, church problems, business problems. You know, the very fact that I'm up here today may cause some of you pain. It may cause some of you pain. You may think you've got it under control, that you can manage this thing, but every so often something will bump you, something will trigger you, and the low simmer kind of bitterness that you've got boils over and it results in a river that just damages everybody that it hits. This stuff is real. For some of you, you've just been offended, not even sinned against, just offended. Perhaps the person doesn't even know, but you've been wounded. You, you walk past them and they didn't say hello to you and, and you wonder, what, well, what did I do wrong? What, what did I, and we start taking offense. And by the way, this part even happens with some of us, between us and God. If, we're, if, we're, if we can be really honest today, this happens between us and God. He doesn't respond how we want him to. He doesn't bring the answer that we want. He doesn't respond with the healing that we so earnestly pled for. And we take offense at him because he didn't answer like we so wanted him to. We feel hurt, we feel offended. And for some of us here today, the person you most need to forgive is yourself. You've, you've failed somehow or you've made a mistake Maybe you've sinned somehow. Maybe you've committed some sin that, that really is a horrible sin. And you just feel like it's too much. Like it's unforgivable. And you carry around this angst towards yourself because you just don't feel like it's forgivable. We can be imprisoned by bitterness towards ourselves. But forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people forgive. But I know, I know, forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is hard. It's, it's hard to release. I mean, we've all walked through seasons of pain. We've all walked through seasons where somebody has done us wrong. And it's hard to let go of that. We want to see payment made. We want to feel it made right. We want justice. So we're going to walk through four things that make it hard to forgive, I think. There are probably other things too, but these four things really stand out to me. Why do we hold on to offense? Why do we not forgive? Why do we hold on to offense? First, it hurts. It hurts. It's simple. It hurts, it's painful, it's costly. I mean, put it in the money realm. Kevin Eames is in here today. Kevin, if, if I owe you a hundred bucks, you, Kevin wants his money back, right? I, that's a reasonable thing, he would want his money back. If he forgives me that debt, he's saying, Brad, I'm okay with never getting that money. I am releasing my right to demand that money of you. I won't, I won't ever see it. That cost him something, right? It's very tangible. It cost him $100 that he doesn't have to take Janica out. Sorry, man, I, sorry, but thanks for the forgiveness. 
Forgiveness is hard because it costs us something. Some of you have had really hard things happen to you. Abuse, you've been lied to, you've been betrayed. Somebody's drug your name through the mud, they've mistreated you. They've spoke poorly of you or your family. And please understand me, forgiveness is not saying it's okay, it's okay, because it wasn't. If somebody sinned against you, it was wrong. We have to first call it what it was. It's not just trying to sweep it under the rug and pretend like everything is fine. It's not what forgiveness is. No matter how big or how small, the fact that it still hurts, the fact that it's hard, the remedy is forgiveness. That is the remedy. Rem forgiveness isn't minimizing it. It's calling it what it is, not making it bigger than what it was. Call it what it is and release and recognize that you are releasing that demand for payment and you'll never get it. Second thing is that we focus too much on our own rightness. This is so easy. Um, we like to think that like the servant, our debt's manageable, I've got this, I can take care of this. And um, we're just prone to focus on how right we were in the situation, how justified we were, and we forget that our debt, again, to use the numbers from the parable, hundreds of thousands of times bigger is our debt to God than what anybody could ever sin against us. And so keeping it in perspective, I have been forgiven this much, I have to forgive when somebody's offense against me is this much. Forgiveness is hard because it hurts, because we focus too much of our, on our own sense of being right, and forgiveness is hard because we focus too much on the person's offense. How many people watch football, pro football, NFL? I miss it already, I really do, I miss it. Red challenge flag, what happens? We get to see the replay over and over and over and over from every angle, from every, every possible camera angle, on the ground, in the in the pylon, by the end zone. We see it over and over, and that's what we often do with people's offenses against us. We replay it, we replay it, we, we play it again in our minds. Look how wrong they were. We focus on how wrong they were. We focus on what they've done to us. Sometimes we like to show that replay to other people too. Look at this, look at this. We wanna get people on our side. Finally, forgiveness is difficult because we think too little of God. We think too little of God. We've already seen that we don't think enough of his mercy to us, his great magnitude of forgiveness to us. But it's also this whole piece of God's justice. This is a piece that, that just gets to me. When we forgive, it often feels like, I, I can't let them off the hook. When we're faced with that question of forgiveness, I, I can't just let them off the hook. What they did was wrong, and if I just let them off the hook, this is, how will justice ever be done? As D.A. Carson says, in the end, justice will be done, and it will be seen to be done. 
we forget that God's justice is indeed perfect. God is a perfect accountant. I have a friend here today who's an accountant and she did a great job, but God's better. He keeps track of everything. He knows it all. So when we come to the end, the reality is every sin that's been committed in the entire scope of human history will be perfectly paid for. And there's two options and two only. The first option is that the person who committed the sin, if they are not a follower of Jesus, the person who committed themselves the sin will pay for their sin in eternity, in hell, forever. And their sin will be paid for. It will. Or, on the other hand, if the person is a follower of Jesus, if they've received God's great mercy and forgiveness, in the end, we will see every sin ever committed will have been paid for by Jesus perfectly on the cross. Not one sin is off the hook. Every sin paid for, either born by Jesus on the cross or paid for in eternity. And we think too little of God's perfect justice in this. When we're faced with that, I don't wanna let go of this, I don't wanna release this offense against me, we think too little of God's perfect justice. Now, while we're here, I've got to address these two pieces just because in the Christian realm, there can be misunderstandings with this. Uh, forgiveness does not mean that you are exempt from earthly consequences. So if I've, examples, if I've lied to somebody, it's going to break their trust in me. If I've lied, it's going to break trust. That's just a natural consequence. That doesn't necessarily have anything to do with unforgiveness. It just breaks trust, it does. If I've mistreated someone in a relationship, it's going to bring fracture in that relationship. If I've done mistreatment on and on, it does. If I've broken the law, there are going to be consequences to that. If I, if I break the law somehow and like I steal something from Jordan's house, I can still go to jail and Jordan can forgive me. It doesn't mean I'm unforgiven if I go to jail. It just means there's consequences that we still have to pay sometimes. And the other piece is that forgiveness does not always equal reconciliation. Reconciliation is a two-way street. If someone is persisting in their sin, if they are not changing, if they are not bringing their life more and more under the lordship of Christ, being conformed more to his image, you may not be able to reconcile with them. You are commanded to forgive, to release that debt. You are commanded to be ready to reconcile with everyone who's ever offended you. But if they persist in their sin, if they, if they are not interested in reconciling, you can't make them. When you forgive, it doesn't automatically mean, okay, I trust and we're all good now. No, it, it takes rebuilding that relationship. It takes time. And if I can just be very, very clear, if someone is abusing you, do not mistake forgiveness Don't let forgiveness be abused as well. You are required to forgive your abuser. You are not required to stay in that situation. Get out, get help, hopefully all towards the end of making things right in the end, but get out and get help.
So those things can all help us think rightly about it. Recognizing that it hurts, that it costs. Thinking rightly about the offense and about our own level of offense against God. Thinking about his perfect justice. But in the end, it comes down to a choice. You and I have a choice. This is a command. It's not a matter of, oh, I've tried to do it and I just can't do it. It's not a matter of, oh, well, I've prayed and I just, I just can't seem to get there. Forgiveness is not something God does for you. Forgiveness is something God requires of you. Believe me, I felt the pain too. I know. And sometimes the only way for me that I can get to forgiveness myself is going to the very concrete example of Jesus on the cross. Jesus is hanging there on the cross and he's looking down at these guys who either are in the moment gambling for his clothes or they are going to be very shortly. They are not looking up at Jesus going, oh, Jesus, we're so sorry that we drove the nails into your hands and feet. We are so sorry. Will you forgive us? They're not. They are not interested in reconciling. They are not interested in repenting. And Jesus looks down and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He doesn't wait. He forgives. Worship team, would you guys come? We're going to do a closing song today and give you time for response. Forgiven people forgive and some of you have realized today, perhaps for the very first time, the debt, the magnitude of your debt against God. If you've recognized that, come to him and ask for mercy. Ask for his forgiveness. He gives it freely. He is moved when his people ask. When people who are not yet his people ask, he is moved. But if you're here today, and you've been a follower of Jesus, but you've carried some offense, some sin that someone's done against you, whether it be since this morning or whether it be decades long, oh, get out of your prison today. Get out from under the bitterness. Release it. Send it away. Keep in perspective the great debt God has forgiven you and send this thing that's against you away. Send it away. If you'd like to have someone pray with you, please come up to this side where the cross is and someone will pray with you. If you want to just come forward on your own and just pray, come over to this side. If you just wanna sit in your seat, but you know you've got business to do with God, don't let it pass. Don't let it pass. Don't wait another day. Don't stay in your prison Don't stay in this mode any longer. Come to him. Release your sin against others and find freedom. Jesus, help us today. Help us to do the forgiveness that's needed. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the magnitude of your forgiveness toward us.